Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Woo! I'm Simone Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. You know, I have a little bit of an update to oh. uh, my title that I use. Um, it's not that I'm not still uh, executive director of Rebellion Pack, but uh, throughout this cycle, one of the things, uh, one of the, the other packs that I work on is Progressive Victory, uh, which is, um, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of work this cycle. Uh, so I'm on the board over there. I also run a team there uh, for special projects, which, uh, you know, it sounds uh, amorphous, but we're doing a lot of really, really interesting work, including collaborating with members of Congress to produce a four-hour stream, uh, working with the White House, a whole bunch of other stuff. So we may need to update the title Ooh, sometime. Uh, to something like Special Projects Director? Special Project. Or I, you'll, you'll have two titles. Operations. Operation. Oh my God. Yes. It's going to make you sound like a spy. So you'd still be at Rebellion Pack, but then also That's sp- right. like we have something a- special, special title, insert title here at... I know the FEC uh, compliance is my our our, our, to- our listeners' favorite topic in the entire world. Uh, <laughs> but we do have a resource sharing agreement in place between the two organizations. So there it is. <laughs> and now we know. And now we know. All right. Well, that's that's super exciting. It's it going to be a busy year for you. Um, oh God! And a busy <laughs> week for us here. So OpenAI held their developer conference. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, we are also going to be talking about. A long rumored and actually apparently finally confirmed a Nintendo movie that I can't wait to, well, surmise about because we don't know much about it. But I think we'll all have thoughts. And then for Booster, our bonus segment for subscribers uh, who get an extra bonus, who get an extra segment of the show and an ad free show every week, you're going to hear us discuss a Washington Post article about influencer boot camps creator camps uh where kids learn to be youtubers uh this article caused quite a stir when it came out this week it has a lot of people very uh upset or worried online and we're going to talk about it for you in our in our little fun corner of rocket booster and if you want to learn how to access that bonus segment you can go to relay.fm slash membership and learn how you too can get not you to the band uh, <laughs> who embarrassed me this week on stage in Las Vegas. But you too, the listener of Rocket, can get a bonus segment uh, in an ad-free show every week. So again, that's relay.fm slash membership. Become a boostie. How did you two disappoint you this week? I'm just glad to have you finally on the YouTube like <laughs> dislike train. So thank you. So obviously they're having their, their big sphere shows, you know, in the sphere, which is where we're all going oh, to yeah, go yeah, when yeah. we die. Um, They just finished the first sort of leg of that that residency in Vegas. And in his like closing speech thing, Bono was like, we're giving like Vegas back. We're giving it over to Formula One, actually. And he went on to do the like credits for the band, you know, like where the band leader like calls out, oh, and on the drums, it's blah, blah, blah. And he did that for you, too, except called them all by Formula One drivers names with a a very a loose understanding of the lore of the drivers that he chose. It was very interesting who he chose. He made himself Daniel Ricardo, which actually is spot on. This is like astrology. <laughs> this is Formula One astrology. And he made Edge Charles Leclerc. And I I need to dig into that. But 
See, it was embarrassing. I was thinking he came out and said something like, because Bono's political opinions are, they're sometimes really good and they're sometimes a little off. So I was thinking he put his foot in his mouth. So I'm glad to hear it was oh, not no, fortunately, a more serious. Yes. Yeah. Fortunately, he just tried to do stand-up comedy. So, okay. <laughs> I mean, which I guess could be the same thing that you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. End yeah. of the world. Yeah. So 100%. fellow YouTube fans. Sorry, uh, my condolences. My pain is with you at this time. But it's first and foremost with the OpenAI Keynote and Developer Conference, which happened this yeah. week. Um, Christina got to be there. She is, of course, at GitHub, uh, Git Universe this week, I believe, is where she is. Um, so she unfortunately can't be with us. Uh, however, we got news to talk about. Everybody was at this this week. Uh, my friend Emily Chang, who you know has her own show on Bloomberg, she's there. Uh, this was a really, really big deal. And yeah, you know, as we'll kind of get into the the details of what uh, you know what they unveiled, it's a lot less of a um, how can I say this? It's a lot less of a you know these technologies being fundamentally different. And more like there's been an exponential leap in how useful they're going to be for developers and how much easier they are to implement. So I'm really excited to get into all of that. Yeah, absolutely. It felt like a refinement, but I'll get into my summary. Uh, so yes, the developer conference uh, where it announced updates to ChatGPT as well as its other large language model tools. So the Headlines that you've probably seen, the biggest one is, of course, uh, ChatGPT4 Turbo, which is the latest model of the large language model that, that powers ChatGPT. Uh, this will allow increased context. Uh, the CEO said up to 128,000 tokens of context, which doesn't necessarily map one-to-one -one onto 300 book pages, but that's the amount of information, like the information density he compared it to, which is freaking massive. Um, more control in terms of inputs and outputs, as well as incredibly updating the knowledge base to april 2023 it had been in 2021 <laughs> that he was like yeah everyone's been kind of annoyed by this we are so happy to have it up to april 2023 and we are going to work hard to like keep it up to date so that it doesn't get that far behind again because that's quite a gap in terms of how the world has changed in the past two years um there are also going to be uh, new UI changes to the way that uh, plugins are used, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, um, and higher rate limits. So in addition, access to the API, this is actually really cool, is getting three times cheaper for input tokens and two times cheaper for output tokens. So in the strategy write-up of this, uh, Ben Thompson was saying, like, usually when a, a, a company has a choice to make between, like, making something faster or making something cheaper, often in the early stages, they'll opt for making something faster. And OpenAI has kind of done the opposite of that and said, okay, like we're gonna, we're still working on this. We're still updating it. It will get faster someday. But right now we're making it cheaper for developers to access, um, which was interesting. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I have a little bit to say about the, the UI changes, but I think first well, we should... let's get through all of this yeah. one at a time. Okay. Yeah. So, first of all, um, you know, that tokenized, um, you know, that tokenized um, um, price getting lower for developers. I think this is some of the most important news from the conference, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, asking iPhone developer, uh, you know, 
anyone that has to use tokens to uh, basically access database or services, this can get very, very expensive quickly. We covered on the show just a few episodes ago how one of the most beloved uh, tools that moderators are using at Reddit yep. is going to exponentially go up in price to the point it's going to have to be shut down because uh, they're basically jacking up the price of the tokens and making it so expensive to access uh, Reddit and do search queries and render data and all that kind of stuff. This just not financially feasible anymore. So that number going down is really, really huge. And this taps into all of this news and how much this uh, um, fits into the future of Microsoft. I think people have not really processed how much Microsoft has changed in the last uh, uh, 10 years, and particularly under Nadella, uh, because where it used to be a lot of their revenue came from, say, Office, right? That was their big money maker. Uh, today, uh, the number one way that Microsoft makes money is from their server products and cloud services. It's over one third of their money. Mm. Uh, you can look at it, it's about 8% for gaming, only 12% for Windows, believe it or not, uh, You know, 23% for Office. The majority of this is coming from their server division. So when you see uh, the CEO of Microsoft come out for this conference, as well as Christina getting uh, dispatched out there, I think it really speaks to how bold they are about this vision of AI. And I think it speaks to what we've been saying on Rocket for a long time, that AI is going to be less of a, um, it's going to be less of like something that you think of synonymously in a technology you use every day the way you might your iPhone. And it's going to be more of a flavor that's baked into a lot of the products you use. Yes. And I so what this made me think of is just like the relationship, the difference in the relationship between the tech world and AI and I guess your your average you know Twitter user who's mucking around in chat GPT or like like even when we did our our segment uh, with the chat GPT fake news stories on the show, which was really fun like we we kind of used it as a toy. obviously you and Christina when you work with it like in a professional capacity, if you do, you wouldn't be using it as a toy like she's a developer. Uh, you are also a developer. Um, but I think a lot of people outside of the tech sphere do view it as a toy. And um, by kind of making it more accessible for developers, they're really cementing and, and they're they're opening a door and kind of inviting people in to say like, okay, like this has massive potential and it's yeah. not going to be harnessed like just by open AI. Like we're, we've made this tool, take this tool and use it to make more things with it um, or like use it to improve your services, use it to do X, Y and I think that that is really smart because like your average, again, person who's using it for a bit online might care more about speed, (laughs) might care about like, can I like snap my fingers and get what I want? A developer is going to understand that this is like a massive, massive undertaking and just wants access to it, just wants it to be like affordable and reasonable to use so that they can implement it properly. That's exactly right. And, you know, Microsoft, I think it also needs to be said, they are developing specialized hardware to to run this stuff. And, um, you know, I don't, have you messed much with uh, OpenAI technologies? I have not. Simone? So I actually, I use this in Bing fairly uh, regularly. 
Uh, so really good example. I was debating uh, John Doyle, who is a fringe right extremist who doesn't believe in birth control and wants to have all pornography banned in the United States. I uh, debated him uh, two nights ago in South Carolina. And as I was preparing for this, uh, I actually did use the Bing AI uh, function quite a bit, not to like go in, like like go get all my sources for me mm-hmm. because hallucination is still uh, an issue. But it is really handy uh, for like saying, can you please quickly summarize this article for me, mm-hmm. right? Can you mm-hmm. can you give me a bunch of studies to say X, Y, Z, and then you go look into those studies. Um, I actually found this a really helpful way to go identify across a really broad range of topics and get me a lot of very specific stats on that. Yeah, like collating information for you to go through, basically. A hundred percent. And just to uh, be really specific, on an earlier episode of Rocket, uh, I had talked about my experience of um, you know why I wasn't really sold on ChatGPT, because I started asking it really detailed questions about subjects I did know a lot about, mm-hmm. such as uh, rules on a pinball game, and it started hallucinating <laughs> things. I tried that experiment again recently, and it did not do that. So I'm not telling everyone out there to like jump in both feet on on AI. I am saying this hallucination problem, in my estimation, is getting better, and I think that it can make this tool more practical for people to use. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, one of the things that they were talking about uh, in the trajectory write-up Ben Thompson was talking about is the hallucination, uh, especially with math, which I found so interesting because I, I it goes against my assumptions of what would be a, a big problem with technology like this, like because math has such hard and fast rules. I mean, similar to pinball, um, but that kind of leads me into talking about the plugins um, and one of the things that they've changed which with ChatGPT, which is you used to have to kind of if you wanted to generate art with Dolly or if you wanted to like um, what's another example um I, browse with Bing you would have to like select that from a drop down and they have changed it so that now it is sort of a universal AI or they they are changing it um, so that it is a universal AI uh, that that you can select any of the plugins that ChatGPT can work with so that people no longer have to mess around <laughs> with that huge horrible menu um which i thought was great from a user perspective but what i'm actually thinking about with this is the plugin the wolfram alpha plugin that they have which is part of what makes ChatGPT be better at math and not hallucinate bonkers things um that plugin exists and one of the things that they announced at the conference or at the keynote is the ability for more people to create their own custom GPT agents. Uh, so right. they have this tool uh, that is apparently very easy to use. It is basically you use it by speaking to it uh, in natural language like you would with ChatGPT, um, uh, which follows the release of their custom instructions for ChatGPT that they put out in July, which helped people like set preferences. Um, but as they said in a statement to The Verge, as OpenAI said, like still power users... Uh, we're having to keep lists, quote unquote, of carefully crafted prompts and instruction sets and manually copy them into ChatGPT. So now people like for a price, obviously, can create their own custom GPTs um, using plugins like, say, Wolfram Alpha, um, importing custom data sets uh, and things like that to 
create tools that they can that they will then be able to eventually sell in an open AI store. More details right. of which will be coming soon. Uh, I'll just briefly talk about the pricing. So apparently, so these devs who build these custom GPT agents will be able to sell them in in a GPT store. Uh, a portion, quote unquote, of the company's revenue will go to people who, quote unquote, build the most useful and most used GPTs, which is vague. So let's talk about that. Custom GPTs. Well, I'm obviously excited about that. I mean, think about the way you could use this for, say, video game, right? You could have, um, you know, NPC dialogue uh, created dynamically to uh, kind of be exciting for you. Right. That would be very exciting. I also think it's really instructive to ask yourself how this could be misused. Um, you know, I work in politics and every single person I know that uh, kind of understands this intersection of AI policy and disinformation is uh, there was a chat I was in this week that was blowing up because people worried about the ability of this to generate, um, you know, election disinformation that would sound really, really uh, believable and well-sourced, uh, but would ultimately be misleading, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think this is going to be a useful tool, uh, but this is also why I really supported Joe Biden coming out this week uh, with the uh, last week with his executive order uh, talking about how basically uh, they need to prove that, uh, you know, this is not going to cause harm before these products go live. I, I do think we need more aggressive AI regulation. A story just came out last night uh, with Hollywood. The reason the actor strike has not been resolved yet mm-hmm. is because they are concerned that they're, um, you know, like they didn't get scans of Harrison Ford for, you know, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny back when he was 40. <laughs> uh, they created that from AI and you know, machine learning algorithms, right? Uh, so, um, you know, the reason those uh, those talks have not been settled with actors yet is they're trying to make sure Hollywood can't just go look at old films and create AI without being compensated for it. So I think just beyond this particular product, I'm happy it's being more accessible, but you have to ask yourself, how is this going to be misused? How is this going to harm people, right? And I think this is why I'm really frustrated that the United States government has not taken a, a greater hand in kind of regulating this technology as it's emerging because you've got to ask yourself, how is this going to be misused? How is this going to harm people? How is this going to affect us economically? We're just not doing that at all. Yeah, this definitely, I I, I don't necessarily see where increased harm could come with this versus just like, because I think election misinformation could be created with just ChatGPT on its sure. its own um <laughs> so may- maybe increased vectors uh but n- not different results that being said i do completely agree like one of the things that they did not necessarily talk about they were like there's going to be guardrails in place to stop it from like creating like harmful uh derogatory racist etc content but we don't really we still don't really know much about how that works. I think adult content was also something like they're they're not going to allow people to create GPTs that are uh, like porn GPTs, for example, which I mean, depending on <laughs> I know your position in the debate, like and my position as well, like I'm, like there's no sex, I don't think is a dangerous thing. Um, sure. But. That is one of the things that they are limiting when it comes to this, which, like, fair enough. It's there. It's uh, a company that is, I think, in its early days, not early days, but, like, er, 
early fame and uh, striving for legitimacy and also, as you pointed out, to stay ahead of any regulation that might be coming their way. So I do understand why they're being um, touchy about that kind of thing. That being said, we haven't had many concrete details about things that are more concerning. Like you mentioned, we're coming up on an election year. Uh, There's a lot of uh, racial and religious and ethnic tension in the world right now that could be exploited (laughs) by tools uh, like this. So that is certainly something that I would like to see addressed more in depth later or tested by people who do get a chance to not test, <laughs> go in there and make the most racist GPT you can. <laughs> um, but I would like to see it explored more in depth, especially as this tool becomes accessible to developers and also, say, journalists who might be covering it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, count me very skeptical about the history of self-regulation being an effective uh, tool across industries. You but, and me both. Uh, you know, I, I I think you're exactly right there. Um, and I think what I'm really looking forward to is next week when Christina, who works on this, uh, was actually at the conference. I can't wait to hear some of her deeper insights on this. So we'll get to that next week. Heck yeah. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet. But adding an extra step to anything you do every day can just sound like a hassle. Well, if you know how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, uh, you'll be doing it immediately. Already. You'd already be doing it if you knew. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. I personally can vouch for this. Uh, I have ExpressVPN and... It's not happening today, as far as I know, but for a while, my internet was getting really freaking weird when we were recording the podcast, and it created a lot of headaches for everyone. Um, and Yeah. <laughs> get, get a, it was a solitary. It was really bad. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so awful. Um, and Christina's suggestions, uh, among them, uh, call Spectrum and scream at them, uh, which I didn't do because I don't do that. But she said, like, just try using a VPN. Maybe that'll help. And I was like, but like what I'm trying to like record and it's simultaneously uploading at the same time. Is that not going to like create latency or anything? Wouldn't that make the problem worse? And she was like, no, just do it. So I turned, I flipped on ExpressVPN for a couple weeks in a row recording the podcast. Um, and it did freaking fix the problem apparently. <laughs> so <laughs> awesome. She was right. Uh, and it was also just super easy because I literally just opened the program and I clicked the big button And that's what I did. I didn't even switch to a different country or anything. But if you wanted to do that, you could. ExpressVPN gets rid of all the things that you hate about VPNs. Is a VPN done right? First of all, it's blazing fast. Like I said, lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. You just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all of your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. And this is true because I like finished all my uploading and I was like, oh, crap, I still have that on. Oh, OK. Uh, but your connection is secure. Your data is encrypted and you can spoof your location so you can have access to content available outside your region. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, you can go to expressvpn.com slash rocket and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. 
That is E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash rocket to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN.com slash rocket. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and Relay FM. And we didn't even mention your ability to get, uh, to get uh, you know, like TV shows that are on uh, in other countries. I was talking to somebody last night that uh, was in Europe and was able to see the last season of uh, Breaking Bad early versus us Americans. Oh, my I gosh. I was psyched about that on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> the internet must have been so safe for them after that finale yes. came out. They're like, I was going to say, they're like the one person in the world. And then I realized that there are people in Europe as well. But right. The one American. <laughs> That's neat. Yeah, there's all kinds of countries you can just log into the, your Netflix there and, you know, boop, boop, boop. Suddenly you have shows. Um, there we go. Speaking of shows and films from other countries, Nintendo has begun development. <gasps> yes. On a Legend of Zelda movie in partnership with Sony Pictures Entertainment. It is apparently going to be produced by Shigeru Miyamoto of Nintendo fame and Avi Arad, who produced uh, other Sony movies, including Venom, uh, some of the Spider-Man movies, and Uncharted as a producer. It also has a director attached, which surprised me because usually with projects like this that you hear about, you're like, oh, that's not happening. Who's who's writing it? Who's directing it? They actually have a director, Wes Ball. Um, who is doing Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes and did the Maze Runner trilogy as well. <laughs> yes. So anyway, according to Miyamoto, he is the one who asked Arad, uh, the producer of Uncharted and the Venom movies, to produce the film with him. And he's been working on it for many years. And Brianna, do we have more information than that? No, that's it. Exactly. That's the information. Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this. Um, Hit so me up. first of all, uh, you know, here's the pattern of all of these Sony movies that I personally have gone and seen in theaters. Uh, so the last Venom movie, Let There Be Carnage, uh, it was me, Frank, and about two other people that were in the theater for that. For the Uncharted movie, it was literally just me and Frank in the theater. For Gran Turismo, it was me, Frank, and about four other people in the theater. Uh, these are all the Sony-produced movies. And I want to be clear, I loved that Gran Turismo movie. I loved it. I loved it. I was sitting there in the theater and I'm cheering. I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go. And I drove way too yeah. fast home after that movie. And I, 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 I love that movie. It's like one of my favorite movies in the last three years, even though you didn't like it as much. And that makes you a bad person. Yes. But, uh, but uh, like that movie bombed so big time, as did Uncharted. It did not do super well in theater. So I'm going like Nintendo has this track record of, correct me if I'm wrong, but last year, the Super, I mean, this year, the Super Mario movie is like that's one of the flat out biggest movies of the year, mm -hmm. right? So now Sony lands a deal with them. Holy crap, that's great. Uh, so like there's a lot riding on Sony. The entire financial health of your company is going to be on getting this right. But my bigger thought that I really want to talk to you about, and this is like getting into some, some politics, but I think a fundamental quality of Link is that Link is drawn or rendered so gender and like mm -hmm. gender ambiguity. Yeah. Like, which is why like the Gerudo sections of Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild are so funny. Uh, so 
I think a live action Link, I literally don't know who you could go to cast Link in a way that I'm going to like go, yeah, that's the character, unless you're expressly going out there and like looking at every single non binary person in America <laughs> to like Open find a cast for them. 100%. Like, I don't want someone that. I- Do you know what I mean? I think that ambiguity is a fundamental part of the character. And I'm worried that once they cast someone in this role that doesn't have that quality, I think it's going to ruin Link for all of eternity in the public mind. Yeah. So even more so than the fact that Link is a silent hero. Right. (laughs) And you're you're so right. Like there are so many posts on Tumblr talking about how like you in uh, Tears of the Kingdom, like you when you go up to people as Link, they're like, I heard that the legendary hero is back. And you're like, I can't believe you don't recognize the legendary hero. Meanwhile, the legendary (laughs) hero is literally five foot tall and standing in front of you wearing like a Gerudo thong. And (laughs) which I love. Like, that's a fantastic uh, like unintentional world building is like this this fluid quality to link but right looking up the super mario's movie to super mario bros movie to see who uh, the company that had produced it and remind, my, remind myself that it was universal actually help me solve your problem brianna because okay. i have found the casting for you uh, okay my proposal is it timothy chalamet absolutely not you insult me <laughs> We're, it's going to be a dual cast. The same person is going to play Link and Zelda. And that oh. person is Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> I fixed it. Yes. 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 Honestly, though, I kind of do hope that they cast her as Zelda. So she played Peach in the Super Mario Bros. movie. Um, and a highlight right. of that was that she showed up to one of the red carpet events wearing this incredible, like, pink latex suit, like a cat suit with incredible, like, black eyeliner, her long blonde hair flowing. She looked so freaking good. And it's like um, closet cosplay almost. It's like Disney bounding, but for Peach. I want her to, I want to see her dressed as Zelda. I want it yeah. so badly. I want yeah. to see this beautiful woman. Um, and I would also like to see her dressed as Link. So this is my solution for you. Okay. I like this. I mean, so, but getting into this, I mean, just to go more detailed, I mean, look, we're kind of being a little flippant here. I really, I don't think the Super Mario movie would have been as successful if it had been live action. Absolutely. Right? Just because... Yeah. I think when you're thinking about Mario and Peach, we all think of them so much as this cartoon character that it's really hard to get beyond that. I I do think there's an advantage just because Link and Zelda have been rendered with all of these different art styles over the years, right? Mm -hmm. Like Wind Waker, Legend of Zelda is much different than you know, um, Breath of the Wild Zelda, which is much different than, you know, Skyward Sword Zelda, right? Like, like they're rendered with all these different art styles, mm-hmm. but there is fundamentally a cartoonish quality to it. And I, I really, really genuinely think that going down this live action route is just the wrong direction for this franchise. I think there are a lot of Nintendo product, um, you know, like IPs that you could do this for. I think uh, Metroid would be excellent as live action. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just, 
I, I think it's like Donkey Kong. Like you can't, no matter how much makeup you put on someone, like Donkey Kong is live action. It's just not going to work. Yeah. I, think, I, I really worry this is going to be bad. I mean, Uncharted was fantastic movie, but I can't say that any of the people there really felt like they, you know, um, embodied Nathan Drake in a way that really made me connect with them. So I, mm. I really worry this is going to be bad. Do you think I'm wrong there? I don't think you're wrong for a few reasons. One, like, as you, as you mentioned, like, it, it started as the most pixelated. It would, Like, this is a game from the freaking 80s. It started off very simple. And even as it has progressed to become, like, beautiful, it has always been animation and often some quite, like, cartoony and playful animation. And that's part of, I think, the magic of it. I, I can envision it, I, I especially if I, like, turn my mind to a sort of Jim Henson-esque world. You know, we have these, like, bird people. We have these fish people. We have all these... <coughs> um sort of magical elements to it. So I can I can see a, a puppety stop motion aspect to it working in live action. But you're right, yeah. it's difficult to to envision Lincoln Zelda live action. And it's especially difficult for me, I think, going back to the idea of the silent hero, to think about the dialogue. And I was listening yesterday to the Script Notes podcast that's hosted by John August and Craig Mazin, who are both screenwriters. Um, and they had done, they re-aired a live show that they did a few years back where they watched The Princess Bride um, and talked about the screenplay and how it's like re-watching it now in a, in a modern time. It's movie, uh, quite an old movie and a fantastic classic movie. But one of the things they pointed out was I've that- I've still never seen it, by oh, the way. It's really delightful um, and and very- one of the things they pointed out, which is is helpful for actually this this conversation, and I'll explain it to you, is that none of the characters in the movie really undergo change. They the movie exists um, within this framework. Uh, there, there's like a fake author who wrote the book, The Princess Bride, and. Uh, the copy that exists in the world of the of the film is the one that only has the scenes that matter. So there's no connective tissue. There's none of the like uh, the logistics of how we get from here to here. It's just like the best scenes of the story. And it is this very simple fairy tale-esque structure where none of the characters really undergo character development and change, but you still care about them because the things that they want are real and they have stakes and it doesn't take itself too seriously. And I feel like while obviously the stories that are being told, especially in these modern Zelda games, are like big, you know, the world is ending, like there, there's a lot of bittersweetness to them and a lot of melancholy to them. It still has this like goofy fairy tale aspect to it that I think is completely at odds with modern movies, even children's movies that tend to lean more into irony, tend to lean more into like overwordiness, over explanation of things or where things aren't explained, like lampshading being like, huh, I wonder, I don't know how that works, but OK. Um, and to me, there's a sort of like purity of heart to the storytelling in the Zelda games that is at odds with that, um, which makes me glad that Miyamoto is involved. But also, I mean, the Venom movies are like pretty pretty tongue-in-cheek pretty um they're 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 not similar they're, to zelda they're at not all high art they're i not don't high think they're art. high yeah art. and no. like this doesn't have to be but it, it's still i i'm i don't know why i don't know why sony to go back to your original point like why sony they've had yeah. this huge success with universal which is fine but yeah i don't know what do you think about that but the story no, aspect I, I really i really agree with you because i think i think 
it's interesting, Simone, because I think Zelda, like the main characters of of uh, you know Legend of Zelda, they're they're beloved, right? But the real appeal of a Zelda game are the systems that they create and mm-hmm. how they interlink with each other. I think a really big part of the appeal of say an Uncharted game is the characters and Nathan Drake and the interplay and Chloe and the sass there. And Mm -hmm. it really is story and character driven. And, you know, I I think that it's going to be that much harder for a live action version of it to really connect with it. So I, I don't know. I think they've got a real uphill battle going on because they are, by definition, going to have to give Zelda a very concrete personality for this. And and again, think of how different Zelda has been in every single iteration of this. Mm-hmm. You know, the Tears of the Kingdom Zelda is a drastically different character than she is in, uh, say, Wind Waker, right? That Wind Waker Zelda is extremely different than kind of who you imagine Zelda is in, uh, you know, uh, Link to the Past on Super Nintendo, which you've still never played, and we'll talk about <laughs> that later. Um <laughs> So I think that one of the things that they're necessarily going to have to do is really define Link and define Zelda to do this story and kind of decide on a single canon version of them. And I don't see how that could possibly be satisfying, right? I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, especially, I mean, and it's the kind of thing where I hope that it wouldn't reflect back on future games because, as you've just pointed out, a lot of the magic of the series is that you can make a, a, a Legend of Zelda game be whatever you want. And they've, you know, the last two have been part of a continuity, but that doesn't have to be true. Um, and it's beloved for that reason. Because like you said, you go there yeah. to do puzzles. You go there to like see the ways that these familiar elements are rewoven again and again into a different story um, in a different Hyrule. So yeah, very special. All right. So mini dessert topic, because I know we're going to, yeah. we got to go fast this morning. Uh, just a, uh, Really briefly, how do you feel about Alan Wake 2? I've only played about oh an hour of it. Oh, my God, so it's so I just good. Get your, so give people a little bit of background on Alan Wake 2, what it is, why it's important, why it's getting so much press right now. Okay, so Alan Wake 2 is the sequel to the 2010 game Alan Wake, uh, developed by Remedy Entertainment, who made Max Payne, who made uh, Control, which came out a couple of years ago, and which, oh, it's more than a couple, and we all adored. Um, they are a Finnish developer who makes games that are like very that that can be like dark and quirky in the vein of Twin Peaks and Alan Wake itself was like heavily influenced by Twin Peaks. It's about this Stephen King-esque writer who gets involved uh in a sort of supernatural sort of world seemingly uh emanating from and into his books. Alan Wake 2 is the 13 years later in canon and in our world sequel um where two FBI agents roll up to the tiny Washington town of Bright Falls looking for looking to solve some murders quickly run back into the titular Alan Wake who has been missing for 13 years and it is just so delightfully weird and scary and like looks gorgeous and they're doing that thing that they did in control and this is not this is nothing to do with story nothing to do with gameplay it has to do with blend modes they freaking love blend modes if you've ever been in photoshop or premiere and use like 
put two layers together and done multiply on the top one and been like, ooh, look how these two things look on top of each other. They do this thing where they'll have like gameplay and then they'll have slightly translucent video footage playing over it. And it just creates like the most, to me, oh, visually pleasing, beautiful, like creepy scenes and textures and stuff. And they also love to do uh, the name of the game in really big text popping up on the screen. Really big, clean, sans serif text. Big text popping up right in your face. And I'm like, oh, that's so visually pleasing as well. Yep. Uh, but also the gameplay is good. It's like just bonkers. I am very scared all the time. So I'm constantly like throwing away my bullets, uh, shooting these cultists in the woods. Um, but I am fascinated to know where the story is going. I just played this bizarre sequence where you end up on a like late night talk show um and that it's an fmv <gasps> this like, is what everyone is talking about from this game it's yes. so funny it, and it's an fmv sequence they have so many full motion video sequences where they've shot like actual actors and they'll like play a scene out with those actors and then you go back into the gameplay or you'll like go up to a tv in the game and it's playing an actual video um similar to what they did with the puppet shows and control and there's just this like playfulness of like text and like medium that i really enjoy because they're not trying to say like like i think with a lot of games that are that have graphics as good as this one they try to maintain the sort of um the purity of of those graphics and say like okay this is the real world for all intents and purposes the graphics that you're seeing this is the real world and in this game they're like no this tv is just playing a freaking like a little uh late night infomercial with real actors look at that isn't that funny and i love it I want to play more of it. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig in. Um, you know, everyone is saying this is one of the best survival horror games ever made. Uh, I love survival horror. I replay every single Resident Evil multiple times. Uh, and this is Remedy's first time of really digging into the genre and, and making something. If you mix that with the delightfully uh, weird, surreal, and like narratively engulfing and amazing uh, world of, say, Remedy, Mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry, of Control. Um, I'm really excited to play more of this. You know, Control was a, like, story-wise, I would give it 10 out of 10. Gameplay-wise, I would probably give it, like, a 4 out of 10, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So to see this kind of merge together with better gameplay systems, I'm really looking forward to this. And there's a reason everyone is saying this is one of the best things ever done. Heck yeah, heck yeah. I can't wait to talk about it once you also get to take a stab Woo. at it. Uh, Brianna, what are you up to this week? Uh, this week I am. Can I talk about that? Um, <laughs> I am planning to have to go to Washington D.C. every single week uh, for once a day, Oof, uh, one day a week uh, for the rest of 2024. And I'm trying to figure out how that's going to go. You can just imagine uh, why I've got to go to Washington, D.C. once a week uh, for the rest of the year. So I am planning that. Yep. That sounds interesting and intense <laughs> uh i am preparing to go to paris i'll be in paris all weekend oh. i know it's oh. terrible i'll be working so hard i won't be working at all um i'm just gonna visit some I friends the wrong career simone i did your <laughs> life is so much objectively better than <laughs> all this you time better off decisions. stuff that i get to have oh. i'm off here debating people that 
want to be clear for libel reasons, are not Nazis, but have some fan base that have is been compared to sympathetic. Interesting. Uh, to them. I'm over there talking to those people on college campuses, and you're going to Paris. I'm like, going to is, Paris. This is not fair. Don't worry. I'll find some people who could be compared to Nazis in Paris. Okay. And I'll, thank you very much. I'll punch them. Um, no, I won't. I would break my <laughs> hands. I mean, I would like to, but I'm physically frail. Maybe wait <sighs> until your cough goes away so you can be more ready for Actually, combat. Actually, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to punch, and then you just stand there and go, ah, ah, I'm so sick. Oh, je suis malade. S'il vous plaît, ne me frappe pas. Okay, and that's what I'll do. Um <laughs> No, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and But I will be back uh, next week uh, in time for the show, unless something goes horribly wrong with my flight. So stay tuned. And Christina will be back next week as well. So it'll be all three of us. Yay! Yay. Okay. Well, we are about to record our bonus segment, which will be about Taylor Lorenz's Washington Post article about uh, kids influencer camps, camps uh, where kids are learning how to be YouTubers. Uh, if you'd like to hear a discussion about that, please go to relay.fm slash membership and learn how you can support our show and other relay shows a la carte with a monthly subscription. Uh, and then you get an ad free show and bonus segments every episode. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who has done that. Come join us. Uh, this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>